I'm a part-time rock star. What's up? Welcome to the Part-Time Rockstar Podcast, episode 241. I'm your host, Brett Bueller. Today we have Bright Kelly on out of Philadelphia, PA. He is currently releasing music under his solo name, and uh, he is also the frontman of The Great Enough, which is another band out of Philly. And uh, by the sound of it, they uh, definitely achieved some success for sure, uh, opening for the likes of Imagine Dragons and some other big names. So uh, in our conversation, we definitely had some stories about that that Bright was able to share from backstage and... Uh, all that stuff. Um, by the sound of it, he is certainly a hard-working songwriter, and uh, I definitely uh, respect his lyrics. I think they're pretty memorable, for sure. Uh, I featured Jesus Was a Socialist on here, because that was my favorite tune of his that I listened to. And then uh, I also featured one more. That is his current uh, song out. But uh, yeah, um, if you like his stuff, definitely go follow him on any of the socials and uh, stream him on iTunes and wherever the kids listen to stuff these days. I don't know if we're all supporting Spotify or not, but uh, who cares? In our conversation, um, yeah, we talked about the state of the Philly music game and uh, kind of talked about uh, the importance of supporting other artists and being positive, but uh, it was definitely a fun one. Um, so whether you're a fan of the show or a fan of his, I uh, hope that you're at least mildly entertained. And um, yeah, in personal news and notes, um, I did get surgery on my hand to try and fix it my guitar end, so it's been an extremely painful ordeal, but uh, I think I'm finally turning the corner and on the mend, and uh, we'll hopefully maybe even be playing some gigs by the end of the month, that is my goal, we shall see, but uh, yeah, if you got my number or you've been on the show, feel free to send me movie recommendations or anything like that while I'm laid up, i definitely appreciate it. And then, uh, yeah, the last few things that I normally mention is uh, Truly Strings is uh, the sponsor of the show. It's based in Laurel, Maryland. It's a guitar shop where I take all my guitars and uh, Stevens on Instagram. So you can check out this Truly Strings there. And uh, if you need a music video, Part-Time Rockstar Productions is going. So I can definitely help you out with that for sure. And then uh, the other thing I normally mention is there is a store and Christmas is coming. So if you feel like you need a Part-Time Rockstar shirt, Definitely hit me up or hit the web store. Without further ado, right, Ellie. Jesus was a socialist, and Hitler was a punk. Bitch. Keith Richards is a sorcerer Yeah, puzzle, pieces fit Masarisa hung with dictators And redirected all her Charity funds Pocahontas was held prisoner Then she died at 21 We all know a lot of nothing Cause we never critically think We're too busy playing sugar the other guy blinks We all feed all
Well, uh, yeah, you're good to go. I'm good to go. Yeah, I'm good to go, man. Be the way. Sick. Well, my name is Brett, which I guess you might have saw in the email, but yeah, uh, I called that. Cool. Um, welcome on the show. Uh, Thanks, man. Can't remember where I first came across your Instagram. It might have been related it was to around it. when Alex with Grand Dogs. That sounds that sounds correct. I think yeah, he might have reached out to me, and then he was looking for. Either a show or to get on the pod, and then either I was looking for a show or something like that. So we're just trying to maybe swap or whatever. Yeah, I feel like referrals is ninety percent of this industry, man. Just people talking to people about people. I know. So (laughs) I mean, part of the reason I wanted to do a podcast, you know, meet everybody around the town and and beyond. Europe, Europe and Philly. Yeah, yeah, I'm up in Philly. I travel a lot though. Yeah, I was looking at your uh, itinerary there. It looks like you're. You're scooting around a little bit. Yeah, I just finished an 11 city tour, and I'm doing it again in the, another one in April. Nice, and obviously all yeah. DIY, and all uh, yeah, all uh, in your Honda sedan, or you got a nice yeah, it, tour rig now. In my case, in a minivan. Yes, nice, it gets the job. It's just long enough to lay down in, so I do yeah. occasionally crash in it. Is it usually just you? Yeah, lately it's hard to find enough money to tour with anyone besides myself. Only yeah. because only because if if you're touring alone, you can rough it. But if you're yeah. touring with somebody, you got to get hotels and all that all stuff. stuff. So your 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 costs balloon unless you have friends in every city willing to put up multiple people. Yeah. Um, but I tour with a drummer when I can. Like I play with my drummer whenever I can. Yeah, that's um, what's up. I don't know yeah. if you've heard of. Uh, Andy Frasco at all, or ever heard of his podcast? But um, he got Tim Isabel. He's easily my favorite show to listen to, and uh, nice. he's got got some good music too. But he's fucking hilarious because I think he said for the first five years, maybe longer, he just Craigslisted people in every city that he'd go to, and he <laughs> he'd go solo. Which be like, guys, there's four songs, and the reason he picked the jam band was so he could do that. It's like they're twenty minutes each. <laughs> He's like, that's the only reason I'm in the jam genre. It's uh, I could just tell everybody. That is wild. And uh, yeah, it sounds like 15 years later, he's now uh, making it happen. So it's kind of interesting. Wait, yeah, that wouldn't work for my music for sure. Yeah, that's the problem I think with most people's is you'd have to yeah. simplify a little too much. But Yeah, I solved the problem by taking a big looper pedal on the road with me and oh, playing nice. all of the parts of every song by myself, which yeah. is exhausting, but fun. It's the one man band life for sure. I I actually thought about doing that because like I thought about like building like the suitcase kick and doing the whole like stomping on a kick drum and doing something. Like, but I I don't want to be an octopus because like for me. 99% of what I'm doing is about trying to get people to pay attention to the performance and the lyrics. And there's a lot of like theater to what I do. Right. So the more I have to do with my hands and feet, the more I feel like I'm compromising like the actual vision of what I'm trying to present to people. Um, so the looper lets me kind of like split the difference. No, I, I firmly understand the struggle. I don't actually normally use a looper ever for my original music, but I do a lot of like the acoustic dude in the brewery type things. Oh yeah, and, man. That's uh, what, that's how I make my money when I'm home. Exactly. So yeah, get the struggle. But I feel like when you're playing other people's songs and you're covering shit, it's not like as important to like maybe worry about yeah. engaging 
with the crowd. People just want to hear Wagon Wheel and eat their steak, you know? Like, yeah. I also find, like, as a guy using a looper, too, um, there's, like, a danger to, to being, like, a looper guy oh, uh, yeah. who does original music. And the danger is that you get you start to, like, write your music to the looper. Yeah. So, like, you, it's, and it's, like, no disrespect to somebody like Ed Sheeran, who clearly is talented. Right. But, like, all of his songs are essentially one chord progression throughout because mm-hmm. he's written them to the looper. And like, I can't do that. My songs have like A sections, B sections, bridges, middle eights, all kinds of fun parts. So yeah. a lot of the time, all I can really do is establish the grief. It makes and sense. Yeah. I've noticed that too from covering their songs, like, you know, him and Taylor Swift and stuff. And yeah. like, it's kind of impressive as a creative prompt to write a song that doesn't change or to make yeah. it feel like it changes so much when yeah. effectively the skeleton of it just does not. I use um, uh, U2's With or Without You to talk about that. Yeah. It's the same. It never, it, it, like, the, the background music is essentially identical all the way through the song, and not, yeah. but the vocal melody changes so drastically right. that it feels like the song is ebbing and flowing mm-hmm. in a cool way. So like, I actually think there's an art to being able to do that, but I don't excel at that art. Exactly. Like I would sort of like to try it myself at this point, but I haven't quite done it. I don't know. I've written one song that is the same all the way throughout, but like I personally feel like it would have benefited from not like it feels like an exercise to me rather than like a a song that's like I feel like it could have been better with changes. But I wanted to I wanted to restrict myself. Um and I ended up not releasing it or putting it on a record because I didn't like it enough. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. That's part yeah. of the learning process, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. When I'm home, I play with the band, which is always my preference. Um, um, so I love you, that give and take. Yeah, I imagine you're playing most of the, the uh, usual Philly haunts. Some of them. I actually avoid a few of the, like, the really well-known Philly haunts. Like not Again, not like trying to like knock anybody or whatever, but there's a couple of places where everybody who comes through Philly plays and at least two of the better known Philly venues are on my like my thank you list. You're just um, where, uh, where I just don't have my I don't have time for them anymore the way they do business. Um, yeah. And it's like I'm not going to put anybody on blast right now because Philly insiders and actually a lot of touring guys probably will know just by listening what venues I'm talking about. So um, yeah. yeah, you don't have to name names even though you're, you're apparently too cool for school. It's cool. But I, no, not at I, all. Not at I'm all. just messing with you. Uh-oh. I like I, I play a couple of cool DIY venues in Philly, um, yeah. and then there's a couple of venues in Philly that I love that I I don't get to play very often. Yeah. Like I love Ortlieb's in Philly, and I love Johnny Brenda's in Philly, um, but they're both of those venues are are like booked so heavily, desired so heavily that like as a local, I don't get in there as much as I want, or like I don't yeah. get into like the Ardmore Music Hall as much as I want. Nice. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of there's a couple of like great little DIY spaces that have popped up in Philly that I've sort of fallen in love with, and now I just play them instead of kind of going back to those grindstone venues. Nice. Well, I don't know okay. if the Grape Room's on your list, but for us, that's kind of no. Uh, I love the, the Grape Room. The only I play I I did my my band did our first record release at the Grape Room, and I've played there a hundred million times. And okay, I will I would always happily play there again. At Scooter's venue, Scooter's the guy that that uh, that, that uh, well, one of the guys that like books. I think you might even own the place. Anyway, um, sounds right. Scooter, yeah, Scooter's like an institution at the Great, and a sweet dude 
who cares deeply about the Philly music scene. So I love those guys. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, still kind of dipping our toes into the water of the, the East Coast venues, but, you know, having fun with it. Yeah, um, I, I don't uh, I don't judge venues by like how cool I think they are. I judge them by how 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 much their business structure is set up to benefit the artists. Like how yeah. hard are they trying to how hard are they trying to take care of their bands versus how hard are they trying to take care of themselves? And like I get that that venues have to make their money. I get it, but like anytime a venue does even a little something extra to try to take care of the artist, they go on my like big check checklist. And the great yeah. room does that. The great room tries to take care of people. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Uh, you share the same sentiment as a lot of people. I would yeah. say though, in a weird way, I don't, I don't know for sure, but I sometimes suspect the good at venues are the ones that treat their audience as well. And by that, I mean like not egregious prices at the bar or at the door. Yeah. And more importantly, they just like create an environment that's fun to come to whether there's music or not. And so they yeah. have their own draw and their own pull. And that could just yeah. be something as simple as not firing their bartenders every week. So yep. the locals can come in and get yeah. to know, you know, Dave, who's been working there for 45 years and makes their, you know, gin and tonic or their old fashioned the same way. And then that creates like a sort of. I agree. Uh, I agree. And also, like, I think um, when I say, like, for me, it sort of starts about caring about what your goal is as a venue, like caring about what yeah. you're doing. If, like, if all you're thinking about is how do I, like, squeeze the most juice out of the situation, you're probably not focusing hard enough on curating interesting shows. And I yeah. think it's stuff for me, it starts there. Like, I don't I don't need it to always be like, oh, we're a punk venue or whatever. I love mixed genre shows. I love <laughs> venues that do all kinds of different kinds of music, but I also love when like they care about who's on stage and they're not just like, can you draw, do your friends drink, right? Like, like care about the fact that good art is happening because then what starts to happen is what you're saying, like where a kind of a scene starts to develop around venue, venue develops a reputation right. where people will start going there. Even if they don't know who's playing that night, yeah. they're going to be like, oh, it's this, it's such and such a venue. They always have good going to be somebody cool yeah. i love venues like that you know what i mean like rockwood in new york city anyone who's playing there yeah. is decent or you know grape room tries pretty hard i think in that respect too and there's a, a johnny brenda's in philly always tries hard it's like you can go and get drunk at these places on any given night and guarantee you're going to see some cool bands play i yeah. love that yeah exactly and um i feel like all sorts of cities are starting I mean, some cities probably do it more than others, and you've probably noticed that, I guess. I don't yeah. know what, what others are your favorite, but I mean, for me, it's a like place like Austin. Really, Austin's great. Really stands out for that, where you almost, unless you're right on the main strip, you almost never see a cover band, which to me just kind of blows my mind. I know. I think that about Nashville, too. Like, Nashville is such a pro city that, like, the main strip of Broadway in Nashville is just like wall to wall killers playing covers that are like honestly way beneath their talent level that I like it almost guts me to like drive down Broadway every yeah. door is flung open and you're hearing like oh here's hit me with your best shot and here's friends in low places and here's you know and it's like these are some of the best musicians in the world but like the demand on that strip is for tourist songs right more often than not which is a bummer but if you go to like outside of that even a little bit you 
immediately start finding the coolest original bands, Austin's mm-hmm. like that. I would say for me, I just recently fell in love with Charleston in West Virginia. Oh yeah. Um, for having nice. just like a, when I was in West Virginia, it was a quiet show. There wasn't that many people at the show that I played recently, but like two thirds of my audience were killer musicians at randomly, mm-hmm. nice. which I love. Like I, I had three guitars on stage cause I was doing the looper thing. And I, as a joke on one song was like, Hey, there's an electric guitar next to me on stage. If anyone wants to hop up and play this next song with me. And that some is. dude did. Yeah. He, some dude fully like ran up on stage and was like, Hey, what key are we in? Yeah, yeah. And I was like, Oh, we're in F sharp. And he was like, cool, go man. Yeah. And I started playing a song and he just shredded with me for four minutes. And then when the song was over, I was like, who are you? And he was like, Hey man, I'm Josh Runyon. Nice to meet you. I, I love that. So like, that's kind of cool. Um, and then like, I, I try to tour towns that are like, have something that like ha- gives them a nightlife already. Like college towns are usually really good. Um, because yeah. there are people who are already want to be doing stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I for, had a good time doing those. And for me and the, uh, the potential audience here, who is, uh, Josh Runyon. Oh, so Josh is uh, the guitar player in a band called Dalcord, D-A-L-C-H-O-R-D. He's the, mm-hmm. They're like a duo. They're pretty new. I don't think they've got anything officially recorded out, um, but they played on the bill with me that night after I was done. I, they are on Instagram. It's just at Dalcord on Instagram. Um, but Josh was just this like this wildly talented shredder. And then um, also in the audience, I'll call out a, a guy named Matt Jennings, Matt mm-hmm. Jennings Music on Instagram who uh, picked up my guitar and started playing like Jerry Reed bluegrass breakdowns on it between yeah. while I was waiting to go on. Um, just like a really, really great music town. I played a, a bar there called the empty glass, which is like an institution like Tyler Childers used to play there. And Jason really? Bell used to play there. And it's just like, a, it's like a dive. It's just like a hole in the wall dive. Sierra Farrell used to play there. I actually met her brother that night. Yeah. Um, and it was just one of those weird things where it was like almost like playing in Austin or Nashville where randomly the room was full of talent that like made you feel like you had to come correct. And I love that feeling where it's like, oh, if I'm going to get on stage in front of this audience, I better sing my ass off because most of them can do what I'm doing. Yeah, it's like a, sort of a nervous feeling. But then I guess yeah, at the same time, if you feel mildly competent in what you're yeah. doing, then it's actually kind of nice because, you know they're gonna pay attention right yeah and also like i think i think you can tell me if this speaks to you as well i think i've spent most of my career trying to make sure that i'm never that i never feel like the best musician in the room like i always try to surround myself with people who push me or challenge me or teach me something new or like excite me in a way because i want to be working crazy hard i want to be like singing something yeah i want to i want to be Give, I want to feel like I got to give 110% just to earn my right to be there at any given night. That's a cool feeling for me. Yeah, that's cool. I, I'm probably just too lazy. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> I, I love that. It's very honest. I do like hanging out with cool people or interesting people, you know, people who like just think mm-hmm. about things in a weird way. That's yeah. usually who I'm attracted to. Yeah. But music. Challenge, challenge me. But musically, I'm like, well, I don't really want to be the worst player here, though. Like, <laughs> that's. Like, I like to I be in the middle of that. Yeah, I like, yeah. I like to feel like there's guys who who can learn from me and guys who can teach me something. Yeah, for sure. No, I get, that's I wrong. get what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I noticed in your 
bio. Uh, of course, you had a previous band. Is that correct? Uh, still currently in that, but okay. we're sort of on. We so, we sort of took a hiatus for for a hot minute when uh, the pandemic hit and focused on other projects. The drummer in I'm so they're like my best friends. Like I talk okay. to those guys all the time. But uh, we have some unreleased music that we're getting ready to put out. Um, that's band's called The Great Enough. Is what you're mm. talking about, right? Yep. Um, but the drummer of the Great Enough is currently uh, touring as the drummer for an emo band called The Color Fred, <laughs> which is um, Fred is the guitar player of um, uh, I don't want to say the wrong awesome emo band, Taking Back Sunday. Yeah, nice. Um, so he's touring, doing that right now, um, and we're super excited for him. And then me and our guitar player Brian, the other member of the band, we have like everybody has a lot going on. Yeah. So it was like, hey, like, 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 let's not, we're not turning the band off, but like, we all need room to like do some other shit and then we're going to come back to it. So, uh, later this year or, or late, I guess early in 2024, some stuff's going to happen with that band as well. It's just not ready to announce. That's cool. I mean, honestly, yeah. it just sounds like a really positive attitude to have for everybody around. You just and, want uh, everybody in your band to do well. I want everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hopefully that's the attitude yeah. we have, but I don't know. I guess it doesn't always happen. No, um, it doesn't. So, but I feel yeah. like like I'll never understand like when a band like I don't know like it seems like they'll quit or like they'll firmly say we're just not a band anymore, and it, and it's kind of yeah. like maybe there was you know some pretty bad something that happened in the background where they're never going to speak to each other, but if if it's not or if it's something more like we all got too busy and so yeah. we're just not a band anymore i'm like well maybe but right yeah. what happens like five years down the road when you're like i don't know your kid is now like old enough to like sort of do stuff on his own or something like yeah and i don't that's know that's kind of what it is that, that like, is actually part of it too is is that uh, um our guitar player had kids a few years back and so like that had us we had to make some choices to get around that with him and it was fine we were making it work um his family like pitched in all the time to make sure he could still do all the stuff with us but then i had a baby and she's two now yeah. and then and then my drummer had a baby she's one now so right. it was like everybody everybody was a, a dad and we're all like super invested emotionally right. attached dads like none of us are like phoning in we're going to work dads we're all like no i want to be there for everything yeah so it was like, yeah, it just made sense to kind of take some time for those things. And then for John to do the Color Fred project and Brian to kind of do, Brian's been doing a lot of cool stuff with like, um, like writing, writing and producing songs for other artists. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I've been doing a lot of like session work and that kept me pretty busy. Uh, and then I did the solo career because that band went on hiatus, like yeah, pandemic right. hit, we all went on lockdown band had to shut it down for a while and i was like well i still write a lot of songs i still have something to say and i still need income so i started yeah. putting out solo records and that took off enough that it's now i mean it's not my job all the way i have other sources of income but it's like become yeah it's like you know i, I feel like that's sort of a normal artist pathway yeah. these days where it's, it starts as a spark and it becomes a little bit more of an ember starts to smolder and you know yeah you do start making a little money at it and then i don't and know it, and I, you start yeah you start like feeling that tipping point coming where you're like 
at what point does this become more of my income than other things? Like at what right. point is this the main thing I'm doing versus mm -hmm. the side thing I'm doing? Exactly. And I'm like, right. I'm not sure where that line is anymore, which is a cool feeling. Yeah, that's yeah. nice because I mean, it means at least half the time you're happy. So <laughs> <laughs> uh. I'm also, I'm also lucky in that like, yeah, I'm a, like I, I do other things to keep the lights on. Um, yeah. But like everything I do is related to music in one way or another which is cool so it's like for me my like day job my my work that i do when i'm not doing original music is like playing cover gigs or yeah. doing recording sessions as a session vocalist for other artists or um you know occasionally doing like voice acting or narration stuff because i have a recording studio in my house nice so it's like it's all related to creative stuff now so at least it's not like hey i'm doing this job that i and loathe just to keep the bills paid it's like at least at least the other jobs are still in my field and that feels cool exactly and i yeah. don't know at least for me personally i never like doing one thing all the time which maybe maybe is yeah. bad but for me it's i just like spicing things up and i get a little tired sometimes of the same old what even if it's something i like yeah i, I don't know i get that but um, no, i get that that's to be uh to be negative or anything but um no i get more, that there's a more, lack of trust for me yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't trust one income stream or that too um <laughs> uh but one more thing i guess on the great enough before we move on to your tunes i did notice that uh you did have one song kind of pop off on Spotify. I, yeah big time big so, big big time we had one break a million right so like so, uh was it because of just dog luck was it some touring was it like what that was that was more dumb luck than anything else we had a couple of people that we were working with that were like excited about what we were doing and we 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 spent more money than we should have making that album so like we felt a lot of pressure to like see some payout from it because like doing that record cost us like 10 grand or something at a yeah. point in our lives oh, where, wow. where we that was an impossible amount of money for us yeah um you know, like like now in 2023, with inflation being what it is, maybe 10 grand doesn't feel as insane, but it was absolutely mental in like 2015 when we did the record. Um, and like we flew to LA for parts of it, like we we recorded it in multiple studios. It was there was a lot, um, but the upshot of it was that the guy who produced that record with us, whose name is Luke Tozer, I'll call him out. Um, Luke's a, a killer producer. Um, he had some people he was connected to because of his previous work and other artists he's worked with and his yeah. reputation. Um, and so he helped us like, he helped direct our music to some people who wanted to put ears on it. And a few people kind of stuck their necks out for us and like helped build that groundswell. And then it got picked up by one very, very, very big playlist. And then like, a, it was like Remora's on a shark, like as soon <laughs> it was on, as it was on the huge playlist a bunch of other little playlists picked that up too. Of course. And then, yeah. and then suddenly it was getting like 10,000 streams in a, I don't know, a day or a week or something crazy like that. And that opened a lot of crazy doors for that band because within a year of releasing that record, we were like opening for Imagine Dragons in front of 25,000 people. It was mental. Really? Yeah. Um, but the music industry being what it is, yeah. as quickly as that stuff can come, it can go. Um, we were getting ready to try to set up this cool tour with an artist that I'm not allowed to mention because it didn't end up happening. 
but like we we done all this cool stuff we opened for all these cool bands we played a bunch of like festivals mm-hmm. and like just a lot of cool stuff happening and then the pandemic hit and yeah. we had all these advocates who in places like iHeartMedia mm-hmm. or you know and most of them lost their jobs because of the you pandemic and then so like within a few months of lockdown it was just like we know people who like our music still but we don't we don't have anybody who has power to go to bat for us anymore yeah um okay. and so when we went on hiatus it was shocking how quickly like it all sort of faded away which i guess is fine because like we know how to get it now we could probably try to go get some of that back um and like the band still has a reputation and people still know who we are mm-hmm. around here but yeah it was um it was a roller coaster of like way up, way up, way up, and then oh, yeah. immediately right back down. What was that first uh, first show like in front of you know the first big uh, show? The, the sound guy forgot to turn my microphone on during the first song. That's cool. And so <laughs> I'm I'm terrified. I'm a nervous wreck. I'm also slightly annoyed because there's this gorgeous catwalk on the stage, mm-hmm. but like a PA had just run up to me and been like, "Hey." Uh, Dan from Imagine Dragons says no one's allowed to use the cat. Well, this is true. This yeah. is fully true. Um, I found out later, by the way, this is like a quick tangent. Um, I'm a huge fan of the band Churches and the singer mm-hmm. Lauren Neither. Yeah. And one of the coolest things about this era, so this was a two-day festival, and on the other day of the festival, on, on, on the other day of the festival, the headliner was like 30 Seconds to Mars instead of Imagine Dragons. Mm-hmm. And 30 Seconds to Mars had the same rule where, like, the catwalk was reserved yeah. for Jared Leto, Leto, <laughs> Leto, however he pronounces it. But uh, apparently the girl from churches, Lauren Mayberry, Got just didn't care and just was yeah. all over it the entire time anyway. And I feel like looking back, I wish I had done that, but it was my first big gig and I didn't have the balls. Yeah. Um, but like... there's there's a there's a funny clip of me being, like, really intense and singing and the audience being like, you're not on. And not I stop right. and I go, what? So we had to stop the song and start it over again. It was all thing, oh, uh, but more more fun than not fun. But yeah, my it started with just the most embarrassing possible thing, which mm-hmm. was me being like angsty and heartfelt on a microphone that was not on. Yeah, that's that's a it's a tough break <laughs> as we say. <laughs> but. It made for like a good TikTok clip though. Oh yeah, maybe you can go viral that way by just kind of did. Yeah. A little bit. I I posted that clip of me being embarrassing on TikTok, and it got me my first couple thousand followers. Hell yeah! So yeah, there you know, lemonade. But um, <laughs> I guess we should talk about uh, your stuff, obviously, as well. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. I was listening to uh, to the couple tracks there, and appreciate you sending the lyrics over because uh, I'm a student of one of my favorite authors, and. Uh, Although I do not claim or even try to do such a thing, he uh, always uses the term uh, "secular shamanism." And I by, love that phrase. And by that, yeah. he was the publicist for pretty much every major artist um, in the '80s, um, from Michael Jackson on down. Wow. And, um, he has uh, some books out on like his his style of just doing media, essentially. And uh, you know, he's really funny, but he would do crazy in-depth things about usually using people's artwork and their lyrics like he would I stu- love that. he would study the crap out of it long before he'd ever listened to the song and then uh 
he would go to their house and it was it was a whole thing but he would just basically wanted to get to know people it's kind uh, of like the guy that does hot ones i feel like he asks really unusual incisive questions on that show yeah i haven't seen it but i imagine it's good there's just none of those boilerplate questions which by the way i love that you you haven't asked not a single one of those either where it's like oh who are your inspirations or 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 stuff like that yeah it's a little too dull i like let that stuff come up naturally if it wants to come up but like if i've been asked the same question by 15 other interviewers in my life i kind of like gloss over a little bit and i don't want i I don't feel good about the I start giving the same answers to things and it starts to feel like a press junket instead of a cool interview. Yeah. It's also like the sign of a times too. Like I know somebody else who was in radio for a long time and like he is, I don't know. He was like taught how to do it. Right. And nobody in the modern age was like taught how to do it any certain way. But I feel like there were, that's probably true. There's like a certain intensity to having to do it back in the day where it had to come off as like really talking yourself up or talking up, everybody and everything and making it just sound bigger and badder than maybe it was and so there's like a, le- a yeah. level of like phoniness that i think you know at the time was probably just normal but now i feel like it yeah is extra phony when people do that like it, yeah i also think that like the wealth of uh, media available to people now means that like if it is a thing that a lot of people are doing we've all seen it happen too many times now yeah or that like i I don't know. I think I think all of the above. I think it's probably all contributing to like. I, I think social media has sort of like inevitably led to a certain level of media literacy in the general population that might not have existed. That's true. Um, Thirty years ago, which I think is like a net. It's like a net win. Um, and I also think that like, I don't know, man. I'd I'd, I'd really rather be with podcasts most and, and stuff like that most of the time anyway yeah because i'd rather be asked interesting questions or just have a cool conversation with somebody yeah and i look at it as i have like nothing to gain really personally so i'm like uh let's just try to make this fun because um yeah. lack of a better word if we all try to stroke each other off here like it's you know <laughs> it's just gonna get awkward because I don't know. None of us. That's the way you said that. <laughs> no one's like super famous here. Let's just face it. So let's let's no, just talk about our dogs or our cats for a while and just see if we like find some common right. common ground on that first. I have exactly one story of having been recognized as the lead singer of the Great Enough, and it, and mo- most of the story is about how weird I thought the experience was. Well, if you which I was I was just in line. Yeah, I was so I went to see the Gaslight Anthem play oh. at, at the Stone at the Stone Pony uh, summer stage. I do. So there was like I don't know four thousand people or something there, and and I was just in the audience. It was great. I they put on a great show, and the opener is this guy I I and from Philly that I I adore. Shout out Dave House and the Mermaid. Oh yeah. I've listened um, to his stuff. He's good. Yeah, Dave rules. Um, also, just like a good guy, just like a good guy with a great DIY ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, so we go to the show and and me and a bunch of my friends and we're having a good time. And then I go, I get in line to go by the opening act, which is even before Dave. There was a guy named Jared Hart opening the show. I go mm-hmm. to buy his record because like I always buy the opener's record, not the headliner's record, because I'm mm-hmm. always the opener and I know how good that feels. Right. So I, anytime I'm at a show, I go to, I go buy merch from the act I didn't go there to see. Mm-hmm. So I'm in line, and I just hear, oh my god. Are you bright, Kelly? Mm-hmm. And I turn around and I go, "What is happening?" Mm-hmm. And it's this like sixteen-year-old kid, yeah. and he's and he's honestly like a little shell shocked. And he goes, 
are you the singers the great enough i go again dude what's happening right now and he's and and so all all it was was like you know how sometimes somebody can hear an artist and they immediately like really hardcore attached to that artist and they like so like for whatever reason this so this guy was in the audience at the show where we opened for imagine dragons so uh he had been at that show which you know when we played i know the show the show was sold out so twenty five thousand people were there in total i think when we played probably more than half of that were already around so there was like 13 or fourteen thousand people which is a huge amount of people um and he had heard us and watched us play and it, it had been that thing where it was like a lightning strike and for whatever reason he had immediately attached yeah. like hard a lot of himself to our music and then obsessed over our record for like several months um and then ran into me in line yeah. to buy a, a jared hart record so I'm like getting my picture taken with this kid and Jared Hart the artist yeah. is at his opening table also going like He's happening right yeah. now. And I'm like, I don't know, bro. Can I buy your record? But yeah. that's the only time that anything like that has ever happened to me. And the lesson that I learned from it is I'm glad it doesn't happen all the time. It's <laughs> it's weird and uncomfortable. And I do not have the social skills to handle it gracefully. Because I'm sure I made this kid's life uncomfortable yeah. by being like, are you pranking me? Yeah. I, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't know. But I, I know I've probably been that kid before because I've all my favorite bands i came from the punk rock you know scene where no one knew the bands so they're easily approachable and yeah i don't know you're just like it's that vibe i've approved yeah i i a lot of bands i love i've been that kid too where it's just like hey your music changed my life and they're like playing the 30 people and i'm like dude i don't care if it's 30 people for me this is the most important show of the year yeah my my favorite band of all time is actually from philly uh they were called mischief brew which i'm uh, not familiar but that's a great band name Check, yeah. I'll definitely have to check them out. They were uh, there were some folk punkers that spoke to my soul. Uh, yeah, but, that's uh, where it's at, man. But anyway, speaking of going back to speaking to the soul again, that's what we're, that's what we're trying to do here. I yes, think, I think. I think. Uh, um, I don't know the spot. The song that uh, stood out to me a little bit was uh, was the uh, the Jesus song. Um, Jesus, Jesus was a socialist. socialist. Hell yeah! yeah. Um, I love a good song title. If it makes, because it'll make me click on that first, no matter what. I've always been that way. Uh, yeah. Because I think seventy-five percent of the time I'm right that it is a good song when I could pick on. I don't, that's just I, how I feel. But I think song titles are an art form, completely separate from songwriting. I think titling your songs matters. Yeah. Um, and like sometimes you just go, okay, well, I have to title it this because if people love it, they're gonna. This is the thing I say over and over again. I have to say it, or it's the most important message. But also sometimes it's just the coolest sounding phrase in the song. So like Jesus was a socialist is not the chorus of the song. It's the first line of the song. It's yeah. the song's not about Jesus or socialism, really. That's yeah. there that's a springboard to what the song is about. But I also just the minute I wrote that phrase, I was like, that's gotta be the title of the song. I know it's gonna like trigger like if I ever got this in music stores, it's gonna trigger all the people I actively want to piss off. Well, that's your target um, target demographic then. That's the Yeah, uh, it's like the song I, I when I tell people the title of the song at shows, I always go, Hey, there's a chance this song is gonna divide the crowd. And if this song title, first line or lyrics piss you off, 
there's a decent chance that I'm talking to you and right. I'm pissing you off on purpose. Yeah, this is my last soapbox thing, and we'll keep talking about your music. But like, yeah, Rick Rubin's book, he talks a lot about that. Oh, yeah, where you, the great bands, in his opinion, have always split the room fifty-fifty initially, before they had fans. Like, they would always, if they played to a new crowd, produce probably an equal amount of people who just, just like their music, just bothered them, like it irked yeah. them, like they maybe couldn't even explain why, but they're just just like, didn't get it. Like I have a new band to hate now, and like yeah. <laughs> I don't even. And then, but they would produce an equal amount of just like zombie like adoring, you yeah. know, super fans. Talking heads, so. man. Really, talking heads are like that. Springsteen is like that. People, pe there are a lot of people who hate it as much as people who love him. Like, uh, I, I agree completely with that. Like, uh, he was working with System of a Down at a time and Beastie Boys. Hundred percent. And both of those bands were like hated <laughs> when they yeah. were when they were coming. I, up. I was on the team that liked both of those bands, but yeah. I, under, I, I do understand that very much being true. Because it, it's just it's almost so ridiculous that you're like. Ah. And also, uh, but like at the end of the day, wouldn't you rather be polarizing than than like milk toast and vanilla oh yeah. and invisible? Yeah, because I think that's why most bands, you know, I don't want to say they don't get very far or they suck or they're not remembered, but I mean that's just the fact of it. They're just not because it's too yeah middle. It's like it's like pop country in in its heyday. Um, yeah, stuff like it's that. Safe. Yeah, and like people like it. It's it's like. A little bit like candy, Dang. but it doesn't really resonate with your pain and suffering of being alive or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> not what I not what I am necessarily setting out to do. Even though every yeah. now and again I have a song that does feel safe, it's not what I'm trying to do. I'm mm -hmm. also not trying to be polarizing. I'm just being yep. as honest as I can, as often as I can. The fact that it's polarizing sometimes doesn't bother me. Is basically where it's at. Yeah, it sounds like you're just playing what you want to play which is good yep um but yeah i don't know i liked i liked all the lyrics to that uh, you yeah. know keith richards being a sorcerer i, <laughs> I that's that's one of the best best lines i've ever heard on this podcast so that i've been aware of i'm so proud of that geo like it was just so almost everything i say in a song is is like verifiable fact right or mm -hmm. at least really hard to dispute where it's just like, because the song is about like the culture of ignorance is really what it's about. It's about mm. how people actively choose not to know things and are like more interested in feeling right than being right, mm -hmm. which I which I find reprehensible. I think like if you can't like if you can't modulate your opinions based on facts, then your opinions are fully worthless. Like you have to be able to like readjust the way you think when presented with new data. So I wrote a song about that. And in the middle of saying all these true things about Pocahontas being taken prisoner and dying young, about Mother mm. Teresa working with dictators and sending her the money she collected for charity to really bad places, or about Christopher Columbus being a terrible person, <laughs> I drop that Keith Richards is a sorcerer and Paul McCartney has run out of songs. Yeah. And I, I like both of those moments because they also feel true because like, Keith Richards is such a such a strange, like, gremlin-like little creature in pop culture yep. that occupies this insane space to me. Well, it, where it's like, you've written some of the most iconic guitarists of all time. You've taken all the drugs, and you just 
you look like a raisin with eyes at this mm. point. And he just, what, like, oh my God, he's outliving. It's that joke about how he's going to yeah. outlive everybody. The cockroaches. Yeah. He, him and the cockroaches left. Yeah. But. I just think, I just think he's so goddamn cool. Even though like, I'm not a huge stones person. I do think he's just so effortlessly goddamn cool. And then I do yeah. sort of think McCartney maybe doesn't have a whole lot to say anymore. Um, well, but the like line following 80 that, something. So. Right. That, the line following that is the more important half that equation where it's like, damn, I love the ones he wrote because like yeah. he doesn't need to have any more songs, dude. He's always going to be the dude who wrote. Hey, cheat. Yeah. He's done. Like he has nothing to prove to me or anybody else. But yeah, that was a cool, that was a cool, uh, I loved it. That line stood out to you. That's the first one's ever brought up the Keith Richards line like that. Yeah. Oh. I, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his, so. He has, nice. he has an amazing, amazing spirit, but um, I agree. Anyway, uh, I would yeah. probably put that on the episode since we'd spent a good five, ten minutes here talking about it. Cool. But um, and then I guess you also have. I mean, we can talk about any other song you want, um, but then I guess the sort of bigger one. It looks like again, always according to Spotify, you got to sort of go with that. Is, is "Shake the Fever" till it's gone? Shake till the fever is gone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember everything are kind of the ones you got rolling along yeah. right now. So Shake Till the uh, Fever is Gone is off my a record I put out earlier this year in February called The Quiet Ones, which mm. that's like a, it's like a concept record. I wanted to see what I could do without like drums and bass. And so that's it's like, it's just like acoustic guitars and violins. So like if chamber pop or like Baroque folk sounds like your deal, that's the album for you listeners. Mm. Um, Whereas the funeral tickets record that I just put out obviously has drums and guitars and loud electric stuff. But um, Shake Till the Fever is Gone is an example of um, if you throw enough darts at the wall, you're going to hit your target. Mm. Because I never in a million years would have gambled on that song going viral. I would never mm. have been on it. That song is on a record because I loved it. And mm. only because I loved it. I didn't think about like, oh, the audience responded to this one. I just loved it because I love songs that are snapshots of single moments. And that entire song, the song has no movement. That song is a person in a room thinking about memories and nothing else. And it doesn't go anywhere. And I love that. It's like a bottle episode for music. Um, so I just, you know, like there was no calculus to putting that song on the record. And then... Do you know what I mean when I say an editorial playlist on Spotify? Uh, actually, so, now that you mention it, all that ring, all that means to me is a famous one. So a, a Spotify editorial playlist means it was made by Spotify's internal staff, their curators. You're right. So, so it's like a big one. It's always the biggest playlists on Spotify because they're yeah. made in-house. Um, and there's there's a, a series of playlists called Fresh Finds. Hmm. And they do fresh finds by genre. So it's like fresh finds rocks, fresh finds folk, fresh finds this. Yeah. Um, and randomly, I I have no idea why I threw the song into the atmosphere and a curator at Spotify that I will never know the name of, thank you, whoever you are, put Shake Till Fever is Gone on the Fresh Finds playlist. And in less than a week, I went from having like virtually no monthly listeners to having over 14,000 monthly listeners while the song was still active on that playlist. It yeah. was mental. 
of course, eventually it rotated back off the playlist and I dropped down to like a yeah. human number, yeah. a, a more like normal number of listeners for a guy at my level. That was super cool. And then I remember everything is just doing well, completely organically on its own right now. Um, which I love to see because that's the scariest song I ever wrote in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all my songs are autobiographical. Shake to the Fever is gone. It's not autobiographical. It's a thought about a moment that could have happened in my life, but not not like necessarily a thing that did. Yeah. I remember everything is true. It is just aggressively, this is fully an autobiographical song about my life. I don't do that super often, and it scared the hell out of me, especially because not only is it about true stuff in my life, it's about like the hardest, worst shit that ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad to see that song getting a response. Uh, a lot of people who have commented on that song online have been like, dude, this song should come with a trigger warning. <laughs> so yeah. if you want to trigger warning your listeners before they listen to it, feel free. It is definitely heavy uh, subject matter. Yeah, I was going to say it. I was like, I don't know if it's just me being depressed, but this is some sad shit, dude. I was going to lead it's, off with that. It's some so, sad shit for sure. But yeah. uh, it's done well, you know, it's polished and, uh, you know, it's poppy. So that was on purpose too. Um, I, because at the end of the day, I am, I am, I do consider myself a pop songwriter at the end of the day. Um, mm-hmm. Not like I want to go do Justin Timberlake music or anything like that. Um, but like, most of my favorite bands sort of def- could be defined as what's called power pop. Mm-hmm. So talking about like in the seventies bands, like big star and T-Rex. Yeah. Um, and then like in the eighties, one of my favorite bands is a band called the replacements, mm-hmm. which is like sort of punk, sort of power pop. Yeah. Um, or like really early Goo Dolls records before like the Iris era. Mm. Um, when they were still like rocking on electric guitars fairly fairly regularly all that stuff those are still like pop songs talking heads still pop songs yeah Um, so like no matter what else I'm experimenting with I still kind of want to write like a hook in a song for sure as a writer so I remember everything was like an interesting like how how can I do that while writing about like traumatic childhood abuses Mm. basically um and then also yeah. like that song was was dangerous and scary for me because there's like still to this day I, you know a, another shoe could drop any minute now where that that creates a lot of problems in my personal life because yeah. what it's about is a thing that like maybe a fair few people who know me like would like to be swept under the rug and not to talk about mm. um and I'm not like really interested in making other people comfortable by right. pretending bad shit didn't happen to me anymore because um, yeah. like I'm in my fucking 30s now dude. Like, I had no time for that shit and I don't want to set that example for my own kid now that I've got like a human to teach how to live in the world one of the things I want to make sure she grows up knowing is like don't hide your fucking pain and your scars to protect other people yeah yeah. I mean it's, uh, it's a good thing to do for sure um, it might be too broad of a topic and I do have to wind things down here a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, and maybe it's just my subjective opinion of having talked to so many people now over the internet. But it's, right. You know, I mean, I kind of wonder nowadays, like, like, vulnerability is, like, so popular. It's, like, so in vogue, and everybody seems to, I would say, 
90% of artists now. That's the lyrical subject matter. Maybe it's a little less. Swift effect. Maybe that's what it is. And maybe it's a little less than that. And maybe I just listen to the, I don't listen to enough music or something, but I definitely listen to a lot. And I feel like there was, I sometimes now I'm like wondering like when the trend is going to be over and like what we're going to talk about next, because obviously we didn't talk about this stuff back in the eighties or even nineties and definitely not the seventies. Um, like, well, I think like late 90s, early 2000s, we had a wave of that kind of music because the entire emo movement is basically also about that, like yeah. Dashboard Confessional and and all the stuff that they spawned, That's I true. think was also about like, kind of like wearing your heart sleeve. I will say like, other than I remember everything, not really my thing to be doing. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, I don't know that I'm ever going to understand or respond necessarily to trends. But I think right now, I call that the Taylor Swift effect because she very famously writes about her personal life all the time. But also, like, really great songwriters. I, she, I, I don't want to say that Taylor Swift isn't a great songwriter, by the way. I kind of think she is. Yeah. Um, At, at least, like, you got to recognize. Like, game recognizes game. She's, she's a, definitely an artisan. She knows exactly what she's doing. There's a lot of craft involved. Mm-hmm. But, like... um for people who don't like really aggressively poppy music, there's still like that whole like boy genius and Phoebe Bridgers yeah. Yeah. and like Biba Doobie. And there's a lot of like sort of confessional female singer songwriters spearheading that genre right now um, in a really cool way. But I think I'm still always going to end up being more in that camp of like guys like maybe Hosier mm. where like I wouldn't consider his music confessional. I think his music is more like, he approaches everything almost like in a pastoral romantic yeah. kind of way. And also to a degree, like uh, there's like a, a lot of religious undertones in what he's in what he writes, For even sure. if he's not writing about religion, he, right. he like filters a lot of things through the lens of religion. Right. And, and there's not as not so much like here is a stark naked truth of the thing that happened to me and a yeah. lot more like allegory and, and romanticism and poetry. Yeah. That's more me. That's more where I kind of live. Yeah, it felt like that was the thing, like, forever, I guess, in music. I mean, at least in maybe the main genres. I wasn't old enough to really know, but I've definitely listened to the older records. And it feels like, not that I prefer metaphor by any means, I actually think I prefer the blunt, raw records. But I do start to wonder, it's like, where are are those bands now that kind of, like, use, like, some outlandish stories to still express, like, the human suffering that's behind them without... Dawes. You think so? I think I think Dawes is a great example of a band that does mm-hmm. what you're talking about, where they where they write stories that are some that are sometimes quite disconnected from their personal experiences, yeah. but but still like filtered through lens in interesting ways. I also think Taylor Goldsmith, who's the lead singer of Dawes, is a pretty remarkable lyricist. He's written a couple of those lines that make me sit down and go, Jesus, yeah, rice. <clears throat> um, yeah. I don't know. They're out there, man. I I think. Um, I think there's just more music now. So there's more good and more bad music now than there's yeah. ever been before. It's like a hundred thousand songs a month getting released on Spotify yeah. or something insane like that. And the, and the majority of it's probably not worth your time. And, but yeah. like, you know, you, you find, you, hopefully you drift toward things that like, you know, if I'm, if I'm somebody's cup of tea, hopefully they find me. But I also you know? look at the positive side, which is that you don't need an audience to be successful as uh, a, yeah. As an artist, in a sense, you know, the philosophical sense of like 
everybody can have it like an avenue now to express yeah if they want which i, I think, think overall a, is healthy i agree like, i think like not being gatekept by like labels and studios and things like yeah. that is, is good for the music industry i think it's really good that people can like produce a whole album on their phone if they want to i think that's great right. Um, and I think it's okay if some of those albums aren't good because like for every album that's made incredibly cheaply, that's incredibly bad. You're still going to get like a Bonnie Vare's first for, for, for him a forever ago record yeah. or, you know, like the first nine inch nails record was, was made on the cheap or you're just going to always get somebody who finds a way to like squeeze every drop of juice out of oh, every yeah. cheap piece of gear in front of them and still say something that's like resounding. Yeah, like, and that's exciting. Yeah, no, I firmly believe in in the song first. You yeah, know, not the yeah. not any other medium. It's it's the painting that's good. It's everything else. I don't know. It can definitely help. It can help a lot. Those editorial playlists, they can help a I lot. Agree. But I agree. like, I don't think um, of myself. I don't. I don't like. I don't even filter my own career through like thinking about myself. I think about like me as like medium through which the stuff I create comes into the world. Like I'm focused yeah. on even my own art. Like it's, it's cool that like people sometimes connect to me on a personal level. I'm I, actually, to be honest, it's not great. I don't love that. I don't love, I don't love parasocial relationships. I don't like when people like imprint yeah. on me across the internet so much. Um, but like, I respect it and I understand it. But like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm just like the thing that's making the art. And I want the art to be the thing that is making people think or feel or whatever. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I think you're, you're thinking you're well on your way. You got a pretty good catalog going so far and I'm sure, Thanks, it'll, I'm sure it'll keep getting, uh, keep getting better. <laughs> yeah. So. The funeral tickets is coming out in vinyl in the next couple of months. I'm doing another tour and then there's going to be a whole other record later in 2024 that we're just getting on into the pre-planning stages on. Nice. Yeah. Well, um, any last, shout outs or things that i didn't uh, get to ask or mention uh i would say if you like funeral tickets shout out to my friend ross belnois who's uh, a philly producer out at turtle studios in philly who co-produced and or played on those tunes with me um and is very well <laughs> is very good at challenging artists and getting the yeah. most out of them and is a phenomenal guitar player who also puts out his own music uh, with a band called Muscle Tough, which I highly recommend listening to. They're great. Um, and if The Quiet Ones is your thing, um, shout out to my engineer producer friend, Dave Schonauer at Morningstar Studios. I recorded those tunes mostly by myself, but I give most of my songs away at the mixing stage because I do not trust myself to be objective. Mm -hmm. uh, if I learned one thing over the years, it's that if I mix my own music, I make my voice too quiet because I don't like to listen to myself. Um, yeah. so that's who mixed those records I like to try to shout out the people who were involved in stuff as much as I can hell yeah well um, yeah obviously or hopefully we uh, meet IRL as the kids say one of these days yeah, whether uh, you're, if you need help trying to show down here let me know and um, likewise we're always looking for places to play especially in Philly so um, I can always hook that up um, yeah I'll otherwise uh, probably text you if I have any questions but i think i got what i need so i'll probably just give you the heads up when cool, i man. Uh, put it on the internet next week i think nice i appreciate that i'll help signal boost that shit thanks dude thanks so, man I'll, I'll, uh, really fun conversation 
So thanks, man. I really appreciate you making time for me. I'll talk to you soon. So yeah, if you made it this far, I uh, appreciate you listening. And uh, the song that you're hearing in the background is called I Remember Everything. See you next week. Welcome to the end of all the dreams. The crews come to pack away the screams and turn me out into the avenue. But I remember everything I Remember you tying me down in the sound of the ropes on my wrists and my hands, little fists, don't do me like this. You should have told me stories, help me when thunder rattled the sky. You should have been my hero, but you were my jailer. Taught on cage bird to sing I can never forgive you Cause I remember everything Everything. <laughs>